He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. This is the best show. This is the number one show at 5 o'clock. We let you know what the heck is going on. And uh, in the studio with us, we have uh, a common sense Democrat. We have uh, we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, two common sense Republicans. We have Craig Eaton and the Chief Tony Carbonetti. How you doing, John? Former Chief of Staff to Rudy Giuliani, and uh, we have my sidekick Lydia Serrani. And this is a TriCast AM nine seventy. The answer WABC. Uh, 770 and WLIR and and uh, streaming worldwide on on WABCRadio.com. Lydia, who do we have on the phone, on the show today? Well, we have Professor Alan Dershowitz. He'll be talking to us about the Supreme Court of the United States nominee. And then we'll talk to Miranda Devine, and you can guess what she's going to be talking about, about Hunter Biden. Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. Oh, yeah. And Dick Morris. He'll be talking to us about everything and anything, specifically Ukraine. He's always got something interesting to say, Dick Morris. And Dr. Mark Siegel. Apparently, there's a new variant. Say it ain't so. But on the line for us right now, we have Professor Alan Dershowitz. How many decades at Harvard Law? Just what, four or five? At least five. 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 And he, but he's a Brooklyn boy at heart. He's a constitutional scholar and expert. We're going to do a Brooklyn, show, yes. doing a Brooklyn show soon. Oh, absolutely. So, Professor yeah, Dershowitz. We, we have to do that. And, uh, you know, it's a pleasure for me to be on. I really enjoyed and I'm still enjoying watching uh, Judge Jackson answer hard questions. I have to tell you whether you approve of her or not, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you have to commend her. She did a fine, fine job. She really isn't very, very bright. Um, I didn't know her as a student at Harvard, but I had one encounter uh, with her as a group of people. A white student put a Confederate flag outside her dorm window, and uh, Judge Jackson uh, along with others in the Black Law Student Association, protested it and wanted to be taken down. And the, the white woman who put up the Confederate flag asked me if I would represent her. And I said, look, I don't agree with you putting up the flag. This is somebody's home. You shouldn't do that. But I will defend your right to do it. And I did, and we won the case. And wow. I spoke to the Black Law Students Association, and I tried to persuade them that the best approach would be to not protest it, but use it as an educational moment to teach the students about the, how terrible slavery was and the Confederacy was. But I, I don't know whether uh, she and I ever can remember that issue very clearly. And I thought she came off today uh, very effectively. I don't think the senators came off that effectively. I think there was a lot of hypocrisy. You heard a lot of Democrats say, oh, my God, you don't. Ever judge somebody who they represent? They can represent murderers, rapists, rough. It doesn't matter who they represent. There's a right of every American to be defended. Well, except these Trump. guys, these same guys attacked me for defending President Trump, saying, "How can you defend President Trump? How can you do that?" I was canceled for defending President Trump, and none of these senators defended me. Well, all the lawyers, all of President Trump's lawyers, are being canceled. By the Democrats. I mean, how can this happen in this country? And by the same people who are now praising the right of counsel, saying everybody should have the right to counsel. But on the other side, the Republicans, some of them are now condemning Judge Jackson 
for who she represented when she was a public defender. These are the same Republicans that praised me for defending President Trump. So, you know, it depends on whose ox is being gored or, or which foot the shoe is on. And we need to get rid of this hypocrisy and say, yes, everybody's entitled to a defense, whether it's President Trump or the people in Guantanamo. And don't blame lawyers for their clients. I don't like most of my clients. I certainly don't approve of what most of them were accused of doing, but they have a right to counsel, and that's what I do, and that's what she did as a public defender. Well, I believe in equal rights for all. I believe that everybody should have the same rights. I mean, and right. it doesn't seem like it's happening that way. I mean, yeah. if something goes wrong with Roger Stone and something goes wrong with Paul uh, Manafort, they go solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Solitary yeah. confinement. And other people yeah. do things wrong. And they, they, they get out. Who's that? The, the, the FBI lawyer that, uh, that uh, filed the false papers? Yeah. Not only is he out, he didn't ask for his legal license back. They gave it back to him automatically. And you're, you're and, and Rudy's looking for his license. He has to go in front did. of the bar and, and fight for his back. Right. Well, he shouldn't have to rough fight because he never had a hearing. That, well, right, Alan. Exactly right. They totally discriminated against uh, Mayor Giuliani. Yeah, yeah. Or, or look at uh, Smollett, who gets out on bail. I'm glad he got out on bail. But, but Kim Potter who is absolutely innocent, and the Court of Appeals will reverse the conviction, is in jail. Oh, some technical problems. Alan, you're going uh, in Alan, now. you're going in and out. Uh, can we call you right back no, on a I'll different line? A I will go to a place where I will not go in and out. I okay, promise you okay. I will be in, in the whole <laughs> time. Okay, here I am. Okay. So, Alan, I think right now those 51 uh, intelligence experts are, are putting together a letter apologizing to Rudy, right? Yeah. Don't hold your uh, yeah, breath. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. Speaking of 51 and 50, I want to hear an interesting thing. That is, let's assume that this vote uh, for Judge Jackson goes down straight party lines. I don't think it will. I think a couple of Republicans will vote for it. But let's assume it goes straight down party lines and it's 50-50. Can the vice president break that vote? No, right. The Constitution isn't clear. Oh. It doesn't say. It says that it's a law. The vote based on laws. Correct. But when you have confirmation, wouldn't that give the executive too much power? It means the executive appoints and the executive confirms. You've got the president appointing and the vice president confirming. So I don't think it'll come to that, but boy, would that be an interesting constitutional issue. That would be an exam question I would give to my students. I was just thinking Alan, about I, I think that, you know, she has not shown herself to be unqualified. We may not agree with her on certain issues, but that doesn't disqualify her. So I actually think we should make it unanimous. And if a Republican doesn't want to vote for her, just abstain. Give them this. I mean, if it's 72 to nothing, you take I it off. I agree with you. T- t- take I it off. It's no longer an issue. Done. But let's remember where this started. This started with Robert Bork, uh, who was eminently qualified. He was a professor at Yale. He was a judge on the D.C. Circuit. But he had views that many disagreed with, including me. He didn't believe in a woman's right to choose abortion. He didn't believe in gay marriage, all of that. So he was defeated, even though he was eminently well qualified. Then a couple of years later, Scalia, who was eminently well qualified, gets confirmed 98 to nothing. What's the difference between Bork and Scalia? Scalia's a nice guy. 
<laughs> Everybody likes Scalia. I loved Scalia. Um, I knew his father. We were friends. Of course I'd vote for him. Bork was not a nice guy. He was a tough SOB, and he gave it back to the senators, and they punished him. Also, Bork was uh, a plain, ordinary, vanilla, white, Anglo-Saxon Protestant male, whereas Scalia was the first Italian-American ever nominated to the Supreme Court. So, of course, it would be hard for senators to vote against him. So Scalia got unanimously. uh, Ginsburg got confirmed almost unanimously. And now if you get 52 votes, wow, you're doing great. Everything's changed. But but she comes across as as level headed and even keeled, yeah. Judge Jackson, and and very likable. Think we give very likable. So I, I agree with Tony. I mean, this is something. If the only thing they have against her is what she did when she was in private practice decades ago, then they should yeah. just move on and and support her candidacy. And she did great things in private practice too. She yeah. worked for yeah. two firms. One of the firms was Nathan Lewin's firm, who's a great civil liberties lawyer. And, and Nathan Lewin and others in the firm think the world of her. And, uh, you know, she, 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 she's been a good judge. Look, I think she's the mirror image in some way of Judge Justice Barrett, who's now on the Supreme Court, uh, except that she's going to be more liberal. Justice Barrett's going to be more conservative. Both were extraordinarily well qualified. Um, and uh, Barrett got confirmed on a close vote. And I think she will be confirmed on a close vote. I wish it were unanimous. I agree with you. I think that would be the best approach. Alan, could I ask you, uh, it's Richard Weinberg, could I ask you to talk about the Iran deal? And uh, <laughs> I just so wrote both, an article about it. Yeah, I both, just wrote an article about okay, it. So you can t- the Iran just, deal is not a deal. The Iran deal is a contract. It quacks like a contract. It walks like a contract. I'm reminded of the story of when Theodore White, the great American journalist, was the first journalist invited to have dinner in China with Mao Zedong. And what did they serve? A big stuffed pig. White, who was Jewish, said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't have a pig. Mao said, in China, I decide where everything is. I hereby declare it to be a duck. Eat it. Now, you know, (laughs) we're not China. The president can't declare a treaty to be a deal. It's a treaty. It's multiple countries binding obligations. That's what a treaty is. And therefore, it should have to be submitted to the Senate for two-thirds vote approval. I I agree with that. that. But let me me ask you this question. And if they don't, what's the remedy? Here's the remedy. You get one-third plus one senators who would be against it, bringing a lawsuit for declaratory judgment in the courts, having to declare it unconstitutional. Now, there are two issues. One, do they have standing? Yeah, I think they have standing because they're the senators. They're the ones who are being deprived of their power. Second, is it a political question? Well, if, you know, if reapportionment and how you allocate districts to help one party or another is not a political question, why is this a political question? And so I think a lawsuit should be brought to prevent uh, the president from enacting a treaty without the consent of the Senate. That's what I think. I don't know where it, was gonna, where it will go, but that's what I would do. And, and I would certainly help prepare such a lawsuit. And on the substance of the, of the deal... Don't you think this is going to destabilize the Middle East? It will. It will turn Iran into uh, Russia writ small, and it will allow uh, Iran with a nuclear bomb to bully all the rest of the countries in the area. It will incline Saudi Arabia and the Emirates to try to get their own bombs, and it will destabilize the world. It's the worst possible thing to allow Iran to get a bomb. We made a terrible mistake by allowing North Korea to have a bomb, and we would be making a terrible mistake 
by giving a green light to Iran to have a bomb. So I just hope that we, we stop that and we prevent it from happening. And if it requires military action to stop them from getting a bomb, we're not talking about occupying a country. We're not talking about doing what Russia is doing in Ukraine. We're talking about a surgical strike against the Iranian nuclear facilities as a last resort. I would justify that. Professor Dershowitz, I have another question, a legal question. So there was a woman recently who says she was a victim of a sexual assault. There was a rape kit performed on her. Her DNA was collected. And then several years later, uh, because of that DNA that was in the database, she was arrested as a robbery suspect and she tried to get it thrown out. How do you feel about the DNA collection and how law enforcement can use it or not use it? I'm in favor, although I'm a you know libertarian and I favor the right to privacy. I think DNA collection is very important. It helps free the innocent as well as convict the guilty. You know, there's a famous case now where they got the DNA of a rapist. They knew that whoever had that DNA was the rapist, but they didn't know his name. So they indicted the DNA. They didn't indict the rapist. They indicted the DNA. Wow, that's something different. Came, right, and came within the statute of limitations. And so when they found the rapist, they could then just add his name to the DNA. So, look, creativity has a role to play, and that was very creative. Is that on law and order next week? No, no. Actually, I have a question. It's Tony Carbonetti. I have a question. Indicting the DNA, does that then allow you to go to those companies like 23andMe in search of that DNA? Well, Well, yeah, the family Maybe you do a... uh, a subpoena. Right. Could you subpoena their records in search of that DNA? Because this DNA yes. has been indicted. Yes, the familial did the DNA. DNA have representation? That's the question, <laughs> Professor. Did yes. the DNA have a lawyer appointed to defend did they have the a DNA? Lawyer? Uh, that would be a good idea. That you have fine. a lawyer to defend the DNA, and the lawyer would say, no, there isn't enough probable cause to go after this DNA. And who's going to pay the lawyer? The, <laughs> uh, the government would have to pay right. the lawyer. No, hey, I, I, Alan, I'm, I'm serious. I my cases pro bono. I'll defend the DNA. Of course. <laughs> uh, I'm serious. Do they go after these 23andMe companies now? Yes. They could. Now, there is a right of privacy. And when, you, when, you, you know, when, you go to the, when you go to 23andMe, you not only ask for uh, uh, material about your grandparents, you ask for your susceptibility to diseases. And that's confidential. It should be private. And the government should have to prove by the usual standards of getting a subpoena or a, a search warrant that there's probable cause for intruding on your right to privacy. So I think that would be a good thing. Now, I don't want to happen what happened with the, uh, you know, the court, the national security court, where it's just one sided. I, I agree with whoever said, yeah, appoint the lawyer to represent the DNA. Let the lawyer argue that there isn't sufficient cause. To get the 23andMe, the 23andMe, by the way, will have their own lawyers, and they will try to prevent turning over uh, some material because they want to continue to be able to say to their customers mm-hmm. that we assure you privacy. So it's look, we're living in the 21st century, and these are issues the framers of the Constitution never thought about. Today, uh, Judge Jackson was asked, does she believe in a living or a dead Constitution? She gave the best answer. The Constitution is dead as to certain things, the age of senators, the age of presidents, um, two-thirds vote for this and that and the other thing. Those are clearly fixed. But the words due process, equal protection, obviously they have to change with changing situations. There's a, there's a great story about that. Justice Scalia wrote an opinion involving uh, a GPS put under a car without a warrant. And, and he said, this is what the framers would have thought. And Alito says the framers couldn't have imagined that 
the best they could come is a very small person sitting in a horse and buggy for weeks <laughs> at a time and taking notes as to where the horse and buggy went. So, you know, you can, you can, you can understand both sides of that issue. Well, thank you so much, Professor Alan Dershowitz, for all your insight and wisdom. And tell us about your podcast again. Uh, you know how much I enjoy this. The podcast is called The Dirt Show. Uh, I don't want to tell you when you can watch it live because it would mean turning off your one. Show, but you can watch it on tape anytime recorded. Just go to uh, rumble.com and access Dershowitz and you can watch me when you're not listening to the cat show because I don't want anybody not to listen to this great show. Well, thank well, you. Not so the much. number one show at five o'clock. So I understand that. I want to be the number one podcast. So <laughs> well, well, so you become so number one. Me. You know what counts towards ratings? It ha- the podcast has to be listened to within twenty four hours. I did not know okay. that. Yes, yes. If it's if the podcast is listened to within twenty four hours, when it was done or alive. I think it kind of right. That's awesome. That's yep. good to know. So as well, soon as as soon as you finish listening to this show, access my podcast, but not before. <laughs> well, thank you so thank much. You and, so much. Uh, when Take we care. come back after the break, we're going to come back with Miranda Devine, and then of course Dick Morris is still up ahead, and Dr. Mark Siegel. But keep it right here, Miranda, to break down the whole Hunter Biden scandal, that and much more, right after this. Talk Radio seventy seven WABC. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. And, and we have a, a famous reporter from the New York Post. And uh, what you do to introducing, Lydia? Uh, Miranda Devine. She is a brilliant columnist. And tell us about your book, The Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. Can you believe it? Finally, 18 months after the fact, now the world is in in, in agreement with you. Well, isn't that interesting? Thanks very much for having me on, John and Lydia. Uh, yes. Well, I, I mean, forgive me if I'm not doing a victory lap and uh, claiming vindication, because uh, really, we don't need vindication at the New York Post from the New York Times that missed the story, that deliberately ignored the story and pretty much traduced our reporting. Uh, you know, they come to the party late and they buried the acknowledgement that Hunter Biden's laptop is real. It's not Russian disinformation. They buried that they had authenticated emails on the laptop. We already did that 17 months ago. We proved that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Our readers know about it. Um, Fox viewers know about it. WABC uh, new, uh, news people WABC, know about it. WABC, your listeners know about it. Uh, you know, it's media landscape and that, those are your media organs of choice. You know exactly what the laptop is all about. You know it's not about Hunter Biden. It is about Joe Biden, the man who is sitting in the Oval Office right now. And uh, for the New York Times readers, though, it's a big shock, I think. They're just coming to terms with the fact that uh, they were sold a bill of goods. It affected the election, didn't it, Miranda? Yes, we we do think it did. There are polls uh, by the Media Research Centre that were taken after the 2020 election, which showed that um, half of Biden voters had no idea about the laptop scandal, uh, and 10 to 15 percent of them would have changed their vote if they had known. And considering that uh, that was an election that was decided by 43,000 votes in three battleground states, 
that could have, probably would have made a material difference to the outcome. Uh, in any case, I mean, it is the duty of the fourth estate of the media to hold uh, politicians and people who are running for office, particularly the highest office in the land, hold them accountable to do the due diligence on behalf of the American people. I mean, that is uh, immense privileges are given to journalists in terms of free speech and First Amendment rights. And in return, they are supposed to, uh, without fear or favour, publish all the news that's fit to print, as the New York Times says with their motto, or the Washington Post equally ironically says democracy dies in darkness. That is true. And it's the actual media, the establishment media, the most prestigious brands in this country, which are keeping democracy in darkness deliberately. And that was in 2020 because they did not want Donald Trump to win the election. They were going to do whatever it took to make sure he lost. But you know, Ms. Devine, this is Craig Eaton. I, I was the Republican chairman in, in Brooklyn for 10 years, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm an attorney by, you know, by trade. And, and it's repulsive that with all of this stuff that's come out now, why the Department of Justice or some prosecutor in, around the country is not drilling down on this Hunter Biden story and prosecuting him, you know, put, impaneling a grand jury. There is enough evidence there to go after him. Well, there is there, there talk. Is. There is a grand jury. In Delaware. For Hunter, for, in Delaware. Correct. For Hunter Biden. But Hunter, Miranda Devine, do you think uh, there is talk that Hunter Biden could be indicted by a grand jury? But what about Joe Biden, the big guy? What do you think? Well, look, the U.S. Uh, attorney in Delaware has been investigating Hunter Biden over um, alleged tax evasion, money laundering and violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act. That's been going on since at least 2018. They have subpoenaed a lot of uh, witnesses. They've subpoenaed uh, they've, the grand jury. There's heard testimony from Hunter's baby mama and um, various other people. And also they've subpoenaed his bank statements. Um, so that's going on. And um, he, he is. Where, where is the grand City? Delaware. 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 His father and his own uh, home state. And um, and as for Joe Biden, I mean, look, he's the president. Um, there's ample evidence if uh, the U.S. attorney wants to pull on the strings um, to show that Joe Biden was intimately involved in Hunter Biden and his uncle Jim Biden, Joe's younger brother's overseas business dealings, even though Joe Biden swore blind that he knew nothing about that. Uh, Joe Biden met with Hunter Biden's overseas business partners, many of them Chinese, Mexicans, Kazakhstanis, Russians, Ukrainians. Uh, and he also, um, there's some evidence that he personally financially benefited from Hunter Biden's business dealings in terms of shared bank accounts, a shared debit card, at least one. And uh, also Hunter, um, there's some evidence that he was paying for some of Joe Biden's personal, uh, you know, bills like maintenance on his, one of his Delaware mansions and painting and so on. So um, there is enough there to uh, at least, I mean, did Joe Biden pay tax on the this money. Um, and so there's at least evidence, I think, that the Republicans, if they do take back the House and the Senate uh, in November, they are certainly going to pursue this, whether it's an impeachment or become something else. Um, but there is let's go back to the facts. Uh, if the U.S. attorney wants to indict him, does he still have to ask permission from the attorney general of the state of the, uh, of the United States, which is... Uh, uh, Joe Biden's uh, buddy. 
Merrick Garland. Well, look, I mean, Merrick Garland, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him. There's a lot of pressure on Joe Biden. Um, there's a lot of pressure on the U.S. attorney in Delaware. And, uh, you know, let's see. I mean, we know that Hunter will have or does have the best lawyers that money can buy. And we know that um, it, the New York Times story last week was really all about rehearsing Hunter Biden's uh, legal defences, um, saying that he's already paid a million dollars in tax and, you know, he can uh, retroactively register as a foreign agent, etc. So let's see uh, if charges do emerge, if they're criminal charges or if they're downgraded to civil charges. Let's see what happens there. Um, and, I mean, I don't know if there would be any appetite to go after the president, certainly while he's the sitting president, but um, uh, when he, uh, after he's after he's gone, when that happens, um, there was, is, was there Nixon is the sitting president? Yes, yes, he was. I know that. But, but why, Ms. Devine, why isn't there a push for an independent investigator or a special prosecutor to investigate and follow the money? I mean, they, if they yeah, follow the gonna, money, who's going to make him an independent investigator? It's not going to be the Republicans because they don't have fifty-one votes. The Justice Department, yeah, the Justice, the Justice Department, Department on its on its own volition. The Justice Department works for uh, the president. President Biden. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I know, you know, this, I know. it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It's like, it's like asking Eric Holder to to, to go after uh, President Obama. Was there ever, ever a uh, U.S. attorney or attorney general more loyal to a president than Eric Holder? No. No. Yeah. And by the way, the attorney general of the United States, as we all know, is not the attorney for the president. He's the attorney for the United States. The United yeah. States well, yeah. still, yeah. Somebody better remind that of all the attorney <laughs> yeah. generals. And yeah, the FBI maybe, maybe and the CIA and et cetera, et cetera. This U.S. attorney in Delaware, maybe he could call for a special investigation, no, a special no, prosecutor. No, without, I don't think he's allowed to do it without permission from uh, his boss. I think if he had enough evidence, credible evidence, he he could probably get around that. I mean, his Does boss wouldn't be happy. Rules? His boss wouldn't be happy with him. He's independent. If he If he finds the evidence... He can make a request. He can make a request up to change, up to the change to the Department of Justice, the appointment of a special. Uh, and you know what the Department of Justice is going to do? They're going to tell you what you're going to do. Pound sand. sand. Yeah, they will. New expression. Pound sand. Miranda Devine, does any of this surprise you? Especially, you got the White House that's they 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 almost act indignant when reporters ask about the Hunter Biden scandal. Well, yes. Uh, look, last week, Stephen Nelson, who is the New York Post's excellent Washington correspondent, White House correspondent, um, asked Jen Psaki. He doesn't often get a chance to, to ask questions. You really have to rely on the good graces of the White House. Uh, but he was able to ask questions and he never wastes his time. And he said to Jen Psaki, uh, you know, how is the president handle, handling his conflicts of interest? when it comes to dealings currently with Ukraine and Russia uh, over the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, when his family has received so much money. I mean, for instance, there's um, uh, Elena Baturina. She's a Russian oligarch, richest woman in Russia. Um, her, She and her late husband, the former corrupt mayor of Moscow, were very close with Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin went to her husband's funeral and sat next to her. Um, there's no doubt that she should be on the list of sanctioned uh, oligarchs in Russia. She's not. Why not? Um, and so... Uh, you know, we've asked uh, Jen Psaki and she's, um, she says, what conflict of interest are you talking about? As if there is no such thing. How could that be so ridiculous? Um, that is, that is just the, the level of, um, maybe they're hoping and- that one of the buildings bombed contains Hunter's records so they get destroyed. 
Well, I mean, I'm look, being facetious, reg- but. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting you say that because Viktor Shokin, who was the chief prosecutor in Ukraine, that um, that when when he was vice president, Joe Biden um, forced out of office. Uh, you know, insisted that the president have him fired. Um, he was in the middle of investigating Burisma, which was that corrupt energy company mm-hmm. that was paying Hunter Biden eighty three thousand dollars a month, and he had just seized all the property in Kiev of the, um, the oligarch, the Russia-aligned oligarch of Lachevsky, who was paying Hunter. And um, so he was fired, uh, even though he was conducting an investigation at the time. And Joe Biden boasted about having withheld a billion dollars in aid from Ukraine unless he was fired. And he, he claimed that it was because the prosecutor wasn't investigating corruption. And the opposite was the truth. So Shokin has been going through various courts in Ukraine trying to clear his name. And he's actually had some positive um, developments for him and negative for Joe Biden in terms of the courts there making declarations that he was telling the truth and Joe Biden was not. Now, obviously, those court cases are going to be severely hampered by the war there. Well, thank you so much, Miranda Devine of the New York Post. And again, your book is The Laptop from Hell, and you can still get it on Amazon, correct? Yes, there's plenty of copies now. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Miranda let's, Devine. Let's take a break, and who we come back with, you never know. John Breaking news, WABC. And that breaking news is our next guest, Frank Carone. He is New York City Mayor Eric Adams, Chief of Staff, and he's on here with us at WABC Radio. Good evening, Frank. How are you today? How are you, John? Thank you so much Good. for inviting me back to the show. Uh, Frank, uh, is there a crack in the armor finally in Albany in the, in the State Senate and the State Assembly because... Seventy. There was a poll. Seventy percent of the New Yorkers want to be safe in their streets, and uh, what do the, the other thirty percent want? The other thirty percent—they're on the—they're living Thank in the subway. Uh, you know what? I—I I, I don't know. We, truthfully, the, the mayor and, and and our administration, we had to find this hard to believe. We, we really don't come up with our policies and our positions based on the, the polling of the day and. My May has been working very close with the Assembly and the Senate and the governor, of course, to come with a uh, uh, hopefully a, a compromise that works for the people of the city of New York. And the May has been very clear uh, all along that what he thinks is needed from uh, the legislature in partnership with them, what he thinks is needed to uh, uh, to bring public safety back where it belongs. Yeah, we've been telling everybody who deserves better treatment. Eight and a half million New Yorkers are want to live in peace. Or 3,000 violent criminals. I mean, the guys that are voting for anti-bail in Albany, are they, do they want the 3,000 violent criminals to, to, to live in peace? John, I, I think, you know, I think the answer is, uh, you know, it's clear. That's not a real a real question. You know, of course, uh, the, the mayor said over and over again that there's no the pathway to prosperity is public safety. And and everybody wants to live in peace. Everyone wants to be in peace. And, and, and no one wants their, their family to be victims of violent crime. And, and I think everyone deserves uh, that the, a government that takes public safety serious and acknowledges uh, how important that is to the, the overall the overall city and the overall state. 
Uh, Frank Carone, again, we're speaking with Frank Carone. He's a uh, Mayor Adams' chief of staff. You know, John, you put it so beautifully when you said about Mayor Adams that he's the nation's mayor. The whole world is basically watching what's going to happen here in New York City. The other Democratic uh, mayors around the city, San That's Francisco, right. they're Chicago, Miami, they're looking for leadership. Yeah. They're looking for leadership. And I told Mayor Adams that you could be the leader of all of them. I think you're right, John. Frank, it's Tony Carbonetti. Uh, and I'm a Republican, and Mayor Adams has support from Republicans and Democrats alike in what he's saying to make our city safer. How can we all help? We're on the show every day pushing for him, praying for him. How can we help? Well, thank thank you, Tony. You know what? The, the mayor would pr- gladly trade um, becoming the, the nation's mayor for public safety. I don't think it's a, a title that he's uh, relishing in since it means that we have a, a problem in New York and, and that is a public safety problem. So to, to, he would gladly make that exchange. But the best thing to do, Tony, is just keep keep being honest with one another. Let's just keep calling the balls and strikes as we see it and and being intellectually honest and, 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 and identifying the, the problem um, first. I mean, the first, the first solution is first identifying the problem. Right. If you're not intellectually honest about it and, and acknowledging that there is a problem, it's very hard to come up with a plan to solve it. You know, Frank, this is Craig Eaton, uh, 90 days in almost. And um, I think the mayor's making some great strides and some great changes. And we all have his back and we're very supportive. We hope that we can turn the crime situation around in New York City. Frank Carone, I like wow. the way you put it intellectually honest, because well, that's what it's about. Yeah. It's about the facts and the figures and how frustrating is it for Mayor Adams, for your administration, to hear people say, no, no, bail reform has nothing to do with the rising crime? You know, the mayor, he, he's a unique individual. He doesn't really get frustrated. He just knows he has a job to do. He puts his head down. We always say around here, let's just keep grinding, keep our head down, do our job as best as we can. And and, and that's all we can do. And we don't get distracted by naysayers. We don't get uh, um, we don't move our opinion based on uh, folks who don't agree with us. We, we we debate. We come up with a plan. The mayor sets forth that plan, and then it's our job to execute. Frank, it's uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Uh, there's a report from the city controller on this, and he, uh, playing with the numbers, said this has had the bail reform, so-called bail reform law, has had no impact on the crime in the city. I am telling you, talking uh, to my former colleagues on criminal court and Supreme Court, it absolutely positively has an impact because, the, for example, the discovery laws, the turning over of files in 15 days or 20 days is not enough time to prosecute a case, so it never gets prosecuted. The fact that they have open file discovery, you know who the complainants are, and you know who the witnesses are, they're intimidated, cases are never filed. The fact that you have uh, kids who were, were 16 years old, 17 years old, carrying the guns, and they have to be sent to the family court under this law. That causes enormous problem. They have to take down the age back to, to 16. So when uh, the city controller, with all due respect to him, says it had no impact, he's not talking about the people who really are in the trenches knowing the job. Well, well, uh, you're, you're, you're right, Richard, and thank you for that. And also, what a treat to be asked questions by Greg, who's a fellow Brooklynite and a great friend, and, and you as well, and your experience on the bench. So, look, uh, I don't know what, what the – controller said or didn't say, and, and, and he's entitled to his opinions, and, and they're his own. The mayor has been very, very clear that there are many rivers feeding the sea of violence, and some of those rivers are, in fact, 
tweaks that are needed in bail reform. That includes giving judges the requisite discretion to assess dangerousness. There's a reason that 49 other states do it. There's a reason that the federal system does it. And it's it's the reason is whether if there are evident evidence of dangerousness, a, a judge um, should be in time, should be allowed to take that into contemplation and assessing bail. No one's looking to um, criminalize poverty, but if a judge does have a basis to believe an individual is dangerous, then that should be taken into consideration. That's one of the, the reasons for the rise in crime. The other one, as you said, is tweaks that are needed to the discovery laws. I mean, there are um, certificates of compliance that are required now in a short period of time. And what we're advocating for is something along those lines that don't affect the constitutionality and the constitutional rights of defendants. Of, of course, they're entitled to and nothing will ever change that. But perhaps a substantial compliance at some point uh, early on in the case um, without without jeopardizing their uh, other constitutional protections. Uh, Frank Caron, if you could say something to all New Yorkers on behalf of the Adams administration, what would you want to say to them, especially when it comes to safety? I, I, I will say to them that the mayor and his entire administration is focused on this issue. We won't rest until we fix it. If our ideas are not working, we'll pivot and we'll just keep if we'll stay focused on it and we'll just keep fighting until we're successful and the city is a safe place once again. Well, you can't go till you get the tough question. Opening day is coming up. Yankees or Mets? <laughs> well, they're on two different days. So we'll, 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 Beautifully. We'll, what if they were all on the same day? Wait, wait, wait. What if they were on the same day? May 3rd, opening day in Staten Island, Ferry Hawks. Three <laughs> opening and days. Well, Come out with we'll Mayor Adams. That's most yeah, important, the Ferry Hawks. Uh, thank you, <laughs> thank, uh, you. thank you, uh, Frank uh, Carone, and uh, we hope to hear from you often for updates on what's going on in our city. And God bless you, God bless America, and God bless Eric Adams and you. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you all. Well. Take care, Frank. Now our next guest, Dick Morris. One, Dick. one interesting guy. Always and, telling uh, it like Dick it is. Morris, always good to hear from you. You represented uh, uh, President Clinton and uh, and President Trump. And I was with a, co- a couple of your friends the other night, Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> I was at a uh, dinner party, and uh, uh, Hillary and and Bill Clinton were there, and and we talked about you. Oh, really? Good. Good. <laughs> I said to Hillary, "Me and Dick <laughs> Morris stirred the pot." Round two, twenty twenty four. Hillary versus Trump. Did Hillary throw up? <laughs> Is that a pay-per-view event? No. Well, it could be a pay-per-view event. I mean, could you imagine we can get money from the debate? And John broke that yeah, idea right here. We broke it. Totally John that. broke that idea. And yes, then, he did. And then down, you know, a few seats down was your other friend we went to high school. You went to high school with is uh, 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 Jerry Nadler. Jerry Nadler. And yep. he wants to have uh, lunch. Me, you, and... Uh, uh, and uh, Jerry, bring a food yeah, taster. I'd love to do that. No, no, no. I, I, Jerry and I are good. He, Jerry, look, we all. I said, aside from politics, we're all good friends. Well, we're we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to have Dick Morris as a friend? Okay, let's move on. What's what's new today? Well, um, first of all, let me just do a postscript on the on the. Guess you had on Saron was his name? Caron. From Adam. Caron is yeah. the chief of staff of Eric, Eric Adams. Yeah. There's one other reason why crime has gone up. 
because the sentencing guidelines that federal judges are bound by have been relaxed enormously. Uh, the mandatory minimum sentences have been cut dramatically. And the person that did that was Judge Jackson, who Biden wants to put on the court. Uh, for four years, she served on the sentencing commission. And they reviewed all the sentences for all the crimes in all federal cases and lowered dramatically the sentences that were required. And uh, the and now the Sentencing Commission refuses to release the minutes of its proceedings or how everybody voted on stuff uh, in time for the confirmation hearing. And they're doing a soft pass on uh, on this nominee, Dick. It's, uh, it's Richard yeah, Weinberg. But, but again, that, that's policy. Okay, what did Koch say? You know, the people have spoken. Now they must suffer. So we lost. We lost the presidency, the Senate, and the House, and now we must suffer. Yeah, we must suffer. Don't she, blame me. Don't blame, don't blame don't agree me. With her. Don't blame me. Right. We just don't agree with her. You mean by is that what you mean by suffrage? <laughs> <laughs> Dick Morris, yeah, uh, your comments on Ukraine made quite the, the the splash country. Do you still feel the same way? Do you think Ukraine yeah. could pull this one out? Yeah, I think Ukraine is going to win. And I want to venture some thoughts about the end game. First of all, uh, Russia is revealing the rot in its military. Its military is just rotted to the core uh, by corruption, by alcoholism, and by flat-out incompetence. Uh, you got to realize that Russia's military is all drafted. It's all conscript. And they serve for one year, which includes their training, their basic training, their specialty training, and their service, which means they basically don't know anything. And uh, anybody with any brain stays out of the army. And the contrast that with the U.S. military, all volunteer highly professional, years and years of training in every possible technology and specialized weapon system. And uh, the Russian military is showing what a hollow shell it is. Now, I believe that while that's happening, uh, I had a guest on my TV show on Newsmax named Bill Browder, who is the guy who invented the concept of individual sanctions, sanctioning individuals, not just uh, countries and regimes. And uh, he is now working with the Treasury Department in going after the 100 oligarchs with whom Putin has parked all of his money. And they're, they're, they're sanctioning them. They can't sell anything. One of their yachts was just seized, I think, in Monaco. And uh, they can't sell anything. They can't buy anything. They can't send uh, so much as a Christmas card to Putin. And that, I think, is drying up Putin's money. Uh, and I think that this, I think that Ukraine will now, is now acquiring decent air defense systems from the U.S. I think at some point he'll get his MiGs. And I think that you're seeing, uh, the, the collapse of the Russian army. Uh, and I think that what's going to happen is that the, uh, body bags will keep coming back. The sanctions will be rapidly reducing the standard of living in Russia. And I think that it's and I think that we're watching Putin slowly unraveling in his arrests of I just learned the word or something. That's the name of the given for the bureaucrats in the security services. 
the guys that run the secret police, that run the searches, the espionage, and uh, and ultimately control the jails. And uh, Putin is cashiering them one at a time for giving him bad intel, which is telling him what he wants wanted to hear, which was that Ukraine would be easy pickings. But, but Dick, this, I, I agree with you. I mean, didn't he? Didn't Putin do any investigation before he went into the Ukraine? I mean, it's yeah, clear. Did. It's clear that Ukraine is much stronger than he ever anticipated them to be. Or, or they're just gone, much weaker. Much yeah, weaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the head of a corrupt and terrified bureaucracy. Yeah. That isn't going to tell him the truth. Yeah, and his generals tell him, him we got a great we got army. a great so. army, yeah. And then they you don't. know that right now in Ukraine there is no theater commander? Russia has no theater commander. There is no individual in the Russian military who's in charge of Ukraine. Each commander has his own separate fiefdom. That's and there's ridiculous. no coordination. And the reason his tanks are getting destroyed is that there's no air protection, no what no infantry protection. And, uh, and, and no reconnaissance protection. They're just out there by themselves getting shot apart by javelins. Unbelievable. So Dick I Morris. Think that the Russian system is unraveling. And I don't think Putin is long for this world. Dick Morris, thank you so much for your input. And, uh, we got to take a break and, and we'll talk to you again real soon. And, uh, okay. and I, I uh, hope he's right about Putin and Ukraine, but wrong about AOC running for president. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you, Dick Morris. And uh, right now we have, a, well, we have another call coming in. Are we taking a break? Let's We're taking a break, break they said, and then we'll come back with Dr. Siegel. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. On the line for us right now. Dr. Mark Siegel and oh gosh, this uh, this variant, right? It accounts for like a large majority of the new COVID cases. Even Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, now is COVID too. But but everybody's walking around coughing and sneezing lately. I know. What the heck is going on? Like John Katz says. Well, they're all coughing and sneezing, but it doesn't mean it's this. I mean, come on, they're coughing and sneezing because they got their allergies. It, it's springtime, John. Didn't you know? But but on top of that, yes, this variant is hitting. It's a sub-variant. It's been around since November. But the good news is we have a lot of immunity to it. Anyone that had Omicron 1 has immunity to Omicron 2. Anybody that got boosted has big-time immunity to Omicron 2. So we're not – I am not – How do you know what variant you had? Ah, well – you don't, except that the only variants around right now are Omicron 1 and 2. And, and not to get technical, but they do different things to the PCR test. I can tell by the result of that test you had to see if you had COVID, whether it's 1 or 2. They do one, one works one way, one works the other way. You only have Omicron if you get COVID. That's the only one around. What if I had it in November? How do I know what I had? Can I send you my results? <laughs> of course, I'll look, I'll look it over with a fine-tooth comb. November, it was probably Delta. Well, did you lose your sense of smell? No. I'm Italian. I didn't lose taste or smell. <laughs> oh, thank God, thank for, God that. for that. Or you have severe depression. You'd have exactly. <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't smell that red sauce, you're in big trouble. I would have been in big trouble. <laughs> so, uh, John wants to ask me about the fourth, the fourth shot, and I'm going to tell him, that it depends if you're in a really high-risk group or if you're very, very old, much older than John, or if you're I, really high-risk I can't risk see out of my right eye, and some of my friends tell me that it's probably because of that booster shot. Well, you were fine before the, that. If, 
It's it may be the case, and you will get your sight back, but no, I don't give that shot to everyone. I personally haven't taken the fourth shot yet. It depends, you know. If the numbers come up, if they're too slow to getting us another alternative shot, if they don't approve Novavax, all of that stuff. I might, if I'm traveling, I mean, my, you know, my family's on a plane right now. I'm, I'm still here in New York. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm waiting for a dinner invitation from John. But other than that, I wouldn't take the shot. If I had to go to a restaurant with John, I might take it. Otherwise, I don't take it. Or if you're going to hang out with Sid Rosenberg, who's now in Hollywood, becoming a famous I'm movie going- star. Uh, yeah, you want to go to Staten Island with us? I'm going to Staten Island tonight. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if everybody knows that uh, my good friend and our, all of our good friends, uh, Borough President Vito Fasella, his uh, sister at a very young age passed away, and, and the wake is tonight. And, our prayers uh, are with him. Our prayers are with him, and our prayers are with the, the entire family, and I'm I'm going to go to the wake tonight. It's so important. You don't realize I'm just how, how you know, health, what does they say? Health is wealth. Right, Dr. Siegel? Well, that's the key. And the way to do that, by the way, isn't to live in fear. It's to live in courage, and it's to live in springtime, and it's to enjoy every moment that God gives us and not to be constantly quaking. So, yeah, that's the message. Live life while you can and live it in courage. How did Spock say it? I don't know. Live long and prosper. Oh, live long and prosper. I was reading this article from a hospice nurse, and she's, you know, here's the dying last wishes of patients. And one of them, the top one was, of course, I wish I spent more time with my family. I thought it was, I wish I spent more time working. Exactly. (laughs) Or I wish I made more money. I wish I got that Corvette. How about never giving up? Never give up. George George W. Bush told me that on a bike ride years ago. You finished. You finished higher than anyone else. It was 105 degrees. You don't give up. And you know who else isn't giving up? My 98-year-old father just recovered from surgery, refuses to give up. Well, God bless him. God bless him. Well, thank you, Dr. Mark Siegel. Uh, uh, Our time is up, and uh, we have 45 seconds left. And thank you, uh, Judge Weinberg and... uh, Chief Carbonetti and uh, Greg Eaton, Lydia Serrani. And I must remind everybody, we WABC Radio is collecting uh, money on our website for the Ukraine uh, for humanitarian reasons. We're going to be delivering food. So uh, uh, go to WABCRadio.com and visit our website and make a donation, and it will make your heart feel better. Uh, God bless uh, New York. God bless America. And God bless the people of Ukraine. Make it, make that contribution. You'll feel better. And thank you again, Dr. Siegel. Thank you. Thanks, John.